Hey, 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 everyone. Welcome into another episode of the Grinding True Crime Podcast with your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator, Todd Fox. And a special guest today, my wifey, Miss Gabby, is going to join in on the show today. Say hey, Gab. Hi, everybody. Oh, snap. Hey, Gab- Gabby. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting fact about Gabby. She also is into true crime. So there's something Todd and uh, Gabby have in common. They both can uh, talk about true crime on this one. But on this one, Todd is a narrator, so we're going to be listening in. But she can bring in her expertise when it comes to chiming in on certain stuff. So we got a little special treat for you guys today. All right. With that being said, you guys can find us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podbeam. Look us up on the grinding true crime. And you can find other episodes we've done in the past. Just look at a look us up, Grinding True Crime Podcast. <clears throat> so last week was a good one. This week should be another good one. Mm-hmm. I said he had something cooking up. He said this one's really good. I can't wait to get into this. So without further ado, Todd, take it away. Tell us what it is, man. What's this crime about, Todd? Well, hopefully this is one that Gabby hasn't heard because this is a this is a serial killer kind of well known. Hopefully she hasn't heard too much about it at least. But uh, I know Matt Matt wouldn't hear about it. He, he's like of new. Course. Yeah, you're you're new to it. <laughs> but um, this one's don't blast, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the beauty part of it because when you and Renee are on, you guys are like newbies, so it's awesome. That's awesome. So unlike. What we got today? A serial killer? I'm already interested. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll give that part away right a, right away. Uh, it's a serial killer, and this uh, this one is entitled "Don't Live by the Tracks." Okay. Oh. I take it it's somewhere in the western area, western Midwest area, train tracks. Yeah, you're on the right path, both of you. So, okay. <clears throat> on August first, nineteen sixty. Angel Resendez was born in Pueblo, Mexico. We start this story with Angel's mom, however. Angel's mom was uh, a mother of herself abused by her family growing up by enduring a lot of physical abuse from her own parents that would scar her for life. Beatings that would scar her mentally and physically, such as burns and much more. So one, one who takes Abuse sometimes usually passes it on to others mm-hmm. and and also um, continues the abuse in their own life. That um, is true. Yeah, that's the problem with it. And so uh, Angel's mom would do both. She often uh, got abused uh, verbally and physically from her boyfriends and Angel's dad over the coming years. Unfortunately, she did the latter and she would... <laughs> Um, physically abuse Angel um, at the age of only nine years old and younger. Um, and so as her boyfriends did to her as well, she would take it out on it on poor Angel. Dang. Angel was uh, small in stature, a little chubby, and didn't have, uh, didn't say too much, and, well, was a glutton for punishment. Um, so if that wasn't helping... Uh, the kids in the in the neighborhood of Puebla, uh, Mexico, didn't help out either. They would uh, often punch, kick, slap, and also call him names. And to one time, 
three of the street boys who were a little older, 12 or 13, jumped him in the middle of the street and they threw a brick and it hit him in the head, knocking him out, leaving him bleeding. So let me, let me, let me ask Gabby a question. Let me, let me uh, test her real quick. Uh, so what usually is a sign of a serial killer? Um, growing I, up. Well, I guess abuse for sure. Most of the serial killers I read about or seen documentaries about, um, mm -hmm. they were abused themselves. So as they grow up, you know, they just take it out on everybody they know. It could be their family, it could be friends, neighbors, anything that will throw them off and piss them off kind of, I guess they become insensitized to the abuse. So they end up doing it too because it's normal to them. Dude. Perfect. Exactly. See, she gets it. it and it, it's exactly right. And then also a lot of Captain Crunch. <laughs> yeah, well, that's but that's what usually happens. She's absolutely on point with it. And well, this is where our story continues. So um, there was to him, there was no safe, uh, safe way out of things. If it wasn't the abuse, it wasn't, you know, from his mom, it wasn't from the kids. He was also sexually abused, unfortunately, by one of his mom's boyfriends and his own uncle. Oh. So he, he, uh, he got fed up one day at the age of nine, almost 10, and said, you know what? I'm going to leave the house, never to come back. And he left and he went off to, um, uh, to scavenge, do whatever he could on the streets of Puebla, living in abandoned houses. And he felt like he's better off, his chances are better off on his own. So he did that. But over the next couple of years, people continue to take advantage of him because of his short stature, the fact he wouldn't talk out, the fact he never defended himself, and he would take beatings, and he was raped. Again, he was yes, he was raped. God. So at the age of 16, he began to sniff glue, a very uh, hallucinogenic type glue. And he's still on his own at this point, right? Yep, he's been on his own at this point almost seven years. Okay. So he continues to do that. And that kills brain cells, you know. Yeah. So that kind of, nothing's helping him at this point. So he decides, you know what, I need to get out of Dodge, Pueblo. I'm going to go to America. I got to change things up because nothing's helping here. Now at this point you would, if, if all things considered, you don't want the kid to go through this abuse at the time, but had he, had he just been taken care of, I'm pretty sure he might've stayed in Mexico and not done what he did later. So at this point of the story, we all feel sorry for, for the young angel. Yeah. That's going to change. I agree. That's going to change. <laughs> awesome. Uh, yeah. He, um, he, what happened? What did he do? Well, he starts out like this. Um, his crimes start start minimal, and then they just start to progress. Um, so at the age of 16, almost 17, he, uh, he got over into the United States illegally, began to work in farms migrantly, um, either in Texas, Mississippi, but he started to ride the rails as well. Uh, he liked riding trains and it would get him places he didn't need a car.
So several times he was arrested, however, because he would still in Puebla, Mexico, and it wouldn't get reported, wouldn't get caught. He started doing it, though, in America, and people started to notice. So he started stealing things, breaking into cars, taking cars, um, you know, stealing from grocery stores, but he was getting caught. And each time he had like a hundred different aliases. And this is in the, um, you know, this is in the seventies. So you didn't have computers. All you had was fingerprints and it would take forever to get a set of fingerprints back unless it was like a murder. You're not going to, every time someone gets arrested, not check their fingerprints all the time. So he just kept on, kept on getting in and out of jail uh, getting deported. He got deported 17 times in Whoa. four years. Yeah. And each time using um, a, a different um, alias. <clears throat> so it just, he was trapped in his own personal hell too because he had no one to rely on, no family, no friends. He started at the age of 19 to cut himself. And when one of the times he was arrested, he slid his wrist but the uh the police the police would send him to uh, doctors who would say he's paranoid schizophrenia he has that he was diagnosed mm. and so all this at 19 the mental um you know the mental problems and everything the the petty crime the deportations the false documents all this is piling up what do you think happens now at 19, he's back in the U.S., right? Uh, well, yeah, he, he just jumped back over again. I'm going to say he commits his first murder. You, Gaddy? He's going to take it out on somebody. Okay, you guys are both on the right track. No pun intended. Um, uh -oh. <laughs> so, But, but here's, here's another part, though. But you guys are a little ahead, but you guys are on the right track. But here's the part where you usually when someone reads a Bible, it kind of clears their head. Angel read the Bible and it gave him these thoughts. He began to read the Bible, especially Revelation. And he began, oh, man. <laughs> he, he began to think that he had the ability to read people's thoughts. And he was um, a, not a god, but an antichrist to where he would do the, the jobs that Jesus couldn't do by punishing those on earth that were violating God's rules. And, yeah. This is when he began to go cuckoo a bit. You can uh, say that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, he was way in that already. <laughs> that's not the first, that's not the one uh, scripture you, uh, chapter you want to start <laughs> if you first open up the Bible, because uh, it can get really interesting in Revelation. Oh, yeah. He uh, took a lot of those things to heart and very seriously. So uh, he was known by Border Patrol. They had seen him so many times. Um, He'd show up, like I said, in Texas, Mississippi. Um, it just He just kept getting uh, deported. Now, here's where you guys were on track. Now, in 1979, he's about 19 years old still, but almost 20. He's in Tampa, Florida. Uh, he was again arrested for stealing a car, and those, drops, those charges were dropped because that night he broke into an elderly man's house, beating him unconscious. Then he stole his car. Now, here's the thing that I have, and me and Matt have talked about this in prior shows. Serial killers always have that one break where 
something goes their way and they slip through the cracks and then they get this, I'm never going to get caught or they learn from their mistake and they don't do it for a while at least. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, Angel beat this guy, this 88 year old man uh, to within an inch of his life. While he, was in, while he was in jail for assault and battery, the elderly man died. Oh, uh, yeah. The problem is, for whatever reason, in 1979, they were not able to prove that Angel was responsible for the man's death. So either there was a part of where he was recovering and they thought, okay, well, he got over the beating but just died of natural causes, basically what they determined. So wait, 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 quick question. Was he in the hospital when he was, when he died or was he re getting released or? No, he was, uh, basically Angel was in jail the entire time awaiting trial. The man was in, was in um, the hospital the entire time. So he okay. never left the hospital. Yeah. He never left the hospital. Okay, cool. Good question. Good question. That's dumb. Then how come they didn't relate it to what he did? Because they, they didn't, they didn't, uh, for whatever reason, they couldn't prove the point that his injuries led to his death. So he's 88. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Obviously. See, see, Gabby would have thrown the down the gavel and said, guilty, guilty, guilty. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. But get this. And here's where that break comes into to play right here. For the battery, the breaking and entering, the assault, he got 20 years. Okay. End of story, right? Yeah, you would think. Nope. This is, he really yeah, he got on, he got on five. Oh. <laughs> what is well, wrong that, with this? My math don't add up right, but uh, that's 15 years uh, incomplete. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so paroled and deported to Mexico. Two months later in 1984, he was arrested for false do documents and sentenced to five years in federal prison. So federal prison, which okay. he, which he served two years. Wow. <laughs> What's with these people? <laughs> so so one month later, he was arrested again for the same thing. You would think, okay, federal charges the first time. You're going to be you arrested. You should have been on probation, right? Yeah, yeah. You violated probation. You're done, right? Yep. Three months. Yeah, right. Oh. <laughs> In Why? The <laughs> In the next seven years, he would be arrested ten more times for the same thing. <laughs> For three months, he was in prison, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> this guy, this guy right here, man. And hey. every every time he was arrested, he kept getting slapped on the wrist and not and released every time. Now, See, that's why they get into worse things. <laughs> and you know what's even worse about this whole thing? So the entire time he was arrested, put in federal prison, then released, is he was just he was fingerprinted every time documented as far as what he did the illegal activity the illegal papers passing trying to you know uh illegal uh, using uh, false identities everything right <clears throat> yeah. the entire time this is all going on leading up to the year 1999 mm -hmm. this is almost 20 years worth he was leaving blood trails all throughout the united states whoa so he was already on his killing spree yeah, he was already a, a serial killer at this point. And they, they didn't, had no idea. They had no idea and did not choose to investigate. And with all these charges, they didn't keep deporting him? <clears throat> they kept deporting him. He kept hopping right back over. 
I wonder who was watching the border at that time. Uh, Back in the days, you know what? It was not difficult. Yeah, yeah. Gabby's right. You could get in and get out like nothing. You could drive through the border and nobody would notice. Yeah, because I think, wasn't it Gabby around the early 90s or mid-90s when they started really getting a control of, like, you know, using computer systems and things like that to track people? Yeah, well, I mean, when my family and I came to the United States, it might have been 90 or 91. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody was nervous and stuff, but we literally, like, flew to TJ and then drove right through the border like nothing. (laughs) Yeah. They weren't checking, like, unless that they really saw something suspicious in you, they might question you a little bit, but it's not like they would hold you to investigate you. That's true. They, they didn't ask them to say a complete sentence in English, did they? Like, like was that the test to come <laughs> over here? <laughs> <laughs> what happened to my dad is that he was on the bus one time. He went out there because his dad died. Um. He was on the bus on his way back, and he told the guy that he forgot his wallet at the McDonald's, that he had stopped to eat, and he couldn't find it. But since he spoke English, although he had an accent, he spoke it properly, so the officer didn't care. He believed him, and they let him through. Wow. Well, maybe that was his case. That could have been. But this guy was getting busted a lot, okay? Yeah, so, he wouldn't have gotten <clears throat> he, he definitely jumped the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Up so, he, Resendez loved <clears throat> America, but one thing he really loved is something that my, that's close to my dad's heart, and that's trains. Mm. He, uh, he loved to ride the rails, hitch rides, take trains to see the beautiful country. He, he enjoyed the lifestyle of a hobo, which is basically live off the land, panhandle, uh, camping out wherever you want, going from town to town, stealing. That's how he got in. Yeah, that's pretty much how he did. And he rode the rails wherever it took him. If he saw a spot, he'd just jump off a train. Wow. Uh, Angel had a temper, though, and that God complex, remember? Oh, yeah. Plus plus the need for drugs and alcohol and food. So with all that, you can see how people had to pay the price for what he craved and needed personally. So he would find a woman every now and then in some of these towns. Now I'm going back a bit because 1999 is where we where we left off with all those other things, but I'm going to go back in time a little bit. Uh, he would find women that were on their own and sexually, you know, assault them. Then hop a train and get right out of town. Uh, wow. He would scope the areas when he would get on the train, view people from the distance in the shadows, and then pick and choose where he would go. He was very proficient at, at picking locks and getting in through windows. So here, so here's where I'm gonna describe the victims that he had. We don't know about the rapes. <clears throat> I, uh, you know, can't really get those down. He was never busted for just a rape. But Angel's first two victims also rode the rails and went from town to town, and they were reported missing. A couple, a uh, couple, um, well, they were never reco- uh, reported missing, and to this day. Their bodies are still unclaimed, and they don't have, uh, what is it called? Identification. Oh, they, they long gone. Yeah, yeah. So those families of them never, they don't know if they've even been dead, or they figure that they're dead, but they don't know their outcome. Um, they were only added to the his list of murders because they had been, uh, what is it, um, 
he had great detail of, of the case that only the killer would know. So when he confessed, the cops linked that, that unsolved murder to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the woman had been shot four times with a 38 caliber gun and dumped in a farmhouse in Bexar County, Texas. And um, he was asked, why did he kill her? His, um, well, his reasoning was she disrespected him. And she, wow. yeah, he shot her and, and uh, took her, the little moped that they had and the boyfriend, uh, he, he uh, said that, well, he, he felt he pla- uh, practiced, uh, practiced, practiced black magic. So he shot him too. And his body was uh, so those what? two, those two were killed. They don't know the exact names or the years old the people were, but this one they do. So let's so keep a track of those two first. But in, in those, 19, was, those was his first two. Those were his first two. Yeah. Okay. So then in 1991, because those those were around 1991, maybe 90. So in 1991, he killed his third victim, a man named Michael White, who was 22 years old, living in San Antonio, Texas. He was bludgeoned to death by a, uh, with a brick, uh, brutally for the reason that, uh, Resendez would say is, well, he was a homosexual and that's the only reason why he killed him. He was drunk leaving a bar. Uh, Resendez had just hopped off a train about an hour later as the guy was walking to the tracks. He picked him out as being homosexual and beat him to death, leaving him in front of an abandoned house. Pretty cold, huh? (laughs) Yeah. So he's picking like uh, sins, like certain sins that the Bible condemns for him to do this. Yeah, in his mind, he's justifying what he's doing. Okay, like basically saying he has a reason for it. Yep, pretty much. So that's three. Here comes four and five. In 1995, Jesse Howe lived in Illinois as a troubled kid, did not get along with his stepfather, and his after his real father died. Smart kid, but lack of dire- uh, direction led him to drugs. Jesse Howell decided to go. Uh, he was um, to go uh, with to go on a road trip to his grandmother's house. He wanted to get out of Illinois and move to Florida. But before he did, he did that, he met a girl named Wendy, who was 16. He fell in love with her and said he would propose to her if she came with him to Florida. Mm-hmm. But he was pulled over and his driver's license was revoked. So he couldn't drive down. So he had found a couple friends who wanted to do on the road trip. But, you know, as young couples tend to get together, they tend to argue and be annoying. The two guys that they rode with didn't appreciate that. And at a truck stop in South Carolina, ditched him. So they, they, oh. the 18 and 16-year-old were ditched and they had nowhere to go. So they hopped the train and made it down into Florida, not too far from the grandma's house. Okay. The problem is the two then realized this wasn't going to work out and maybe the grandma wouldn't accept him or his girlfriend. So they both wanted to go home two weeks later after leaving. They were living under a, um, what is it called? One of those um, overpasses. <laughs> and Wendy called her mom and asked for $200. <clears throat> Here was the mistake. Well, not the mistake, but they got $200 wired to them. Now, here's the mistake after that, though, is what I meant to say. They should have took that $200 and used it for bus fare like they said they were and went home. Mm -hmm. Instead, 
they wound up saying, let's use that $200 on drugs and let's ride the rails home. Hmm. Oh. Who is on Big the rails at this very time? Big mistake. Yeah. Serial killer. Yeah. If only they would have known. <sighs> Wendy and, and uh, the young man never made it home. So just two, later, two days later, Marion County Police would find near the railroad tracks um, Jesse beaten to death with a tire iron. Like, his skull bashed in. Dang. Yeah. They, he had no identification on him with exception of the receipt from the uh, Western Union, which gave his name and Wendy's name. <clears throat> so obviously the police are looking for Wendy and um, well, they had to go look for him, look for her because they assumed, you know, maybe, you know, they ran off together or whatever, but her body was nowhere close. But um, some hunters found her body uh, about several miles away off the railroad tracks in a shallow grave. Uh, she had been sexually assaulted, strangled, and she was still tied up in duct tape. Wow. In Sutmer County. Um, so right away they knew, okay, there's two, there's two more dead. This is ridiculous, you know, but they're not linking any of the deaths yet because they're so spread out. Yeah. Yeah. So in June of 1997, see, there's a gap there, and I'll get to that later. You just got to remind me. Okay. But in June 1997, he rode the rails, committing crimes all over the place, still doing his thing as a drifter. He came out here to Colton, California, close to you guys. Hey. His Not too far from here. Yeah, is right off the freeway, actually, in a freight yard, uh, Union Pacific Freight Yard. His twisted thoughts, he rendered... I know where that's at. Yeah, you know exactly where it's at, huh? Yep. So, he... um. Just out in the blue, kicking it with, with another guy who's a drifter in front of a fire. They're talking, having a good time. All of a sudden, the thoughts go through his head is, you know what? This man's twisted. He's evil. I have to destroy him. So he picks up a piece of plywood near a rail, and the guy wasn't looking, beat him to death. <laughs> Left his body there, stole his possessions, and hopped on a freight car and took off. So besides the one person that had multiple gunshot wounds, he's pr pretty much beating these victims to death. Yep, exactly. He'll find anything. He'll just get the job done, whatever he has around. And Gabby's on point because usually, and Matt is too, because usually, you know, a serial killer will stick to one weapon and it's and, yeah. and, and go with that over and over and over. But Gabby's right too because... Yeah, exactly. But in this case, too, some serial killers is rare. They'll use different weapons to where you can't link them. And like she said, he's using different things. This is off the off, off the usual, you know. So this is why he all those cases at first weren't linked up. Yeah, normally they'll stick to one thing and then they'll have like their whole plan on how they carry out murders. Mm -hmm. Once they're on that high of like, oh, I need to be known now. Yep. They're in control and they have that power. But normally they're just really messed up in the head and thinking stupid when they just randomly kill people with whatever they have in sight. It's just more the desire to get rid of that person. Exactly. I mean, that's just 
that's usually how they go. It's a pattern. It's a thing that they feel they get away with it once. They could do it again, and so on and so on. Yeah. So in late of that, in late August of 1997, we go from California to Lexington, Kentucky, on the University of Kentucky, at a frat house where a party is raging into the night. Of a young couple is not really feeling the party too much but they're feeling each other and they just want to get out and get some air. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you think what's wrong with that? Lexington, Lexington, Kentucky, nice area, but it's midnight, but it's Lexington, Kentucky. So not too yeah, bad. Ain't, ain't, ain't much action happening in Kentucky. Exactly. And they're, and they're both white. So you're, so you're like, okay, it's not, it's not like nothing, they're black. Nothing going on right there, man. <laughs> so, so they're thinking we're safe, right? Well, Christopher Myers, 20 year old, 20 years old and is, uh, or 21 and his girlfriend is 20. They decide to go for a walk, which is nothing wrong with that until they go to the railroad tracks, which is just outside the campus. Resendez pops out from behind a control box, which is for signals and demanded money with a knife in his hand. He tied up both of them, ransacked them. He thus beat uh, poor Chris over the head with a heavy rock found by the the tracks. She's looking right at him, tied up with her mouth taped, looking right at her boyfriend getting pretty much bludgeoned to death right in front of her. She can't do anything about it. So after he does that to her, or to him, he then stabs her a couple times in the abdomen, then decides to rape her while she's bleeding then then he beats her to where he thinks she's dead and he takes off now holly to this day is the only surviving um victim wow she she managed i'm sorry i've seen a pattern now what is it with him um pinning his attention on couples um there's there there was really no rhyme or reason with that it was more of an opportunity because you'll see in, in a few others it just whatever came his way or he saw that they were vulnerable or he could take advantage he would just do it wait there's more yeah oh so so she she is like bleeding profusely from the head from the stomach um and she survived yeah she she and she, get this it's midnight it's dark She's tied up, her her hands and, and feet are bound, and somehow she's able to crawl and hop, bleeding, to up the ravine to the uh, the back house of the campus to where someone sees her before she passes out. And the only thing she said was her boyfriend's name, insinuating the fact that he did that to her. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's how the people thought, her saying, oh my God, you know, Chris, Chris. Mm-hmm. But she was trying to say, go get Chris, you know, she and she couldn't point. She passed out, right? So unfortunately for Chris, he may or may not have been alive. But after all that, it took two hours for the police to find him on the railroad tracks. Dang. So he was dead regardless. It just took too long. They Um, must have been searching for him, like running away, thinking that he was the one that did that to her then. You're absolutely correct. They were looking at him as a, um, what is it called? Suspect. Uh, 
a suspect other than a victim. Yes. Dang. So when they that found him, everything changed, you know, obviously. So that remained an, un uh, an unsolved case and it quickly turned cold because in October of 1998, uh, Leah Mason lived in Hughes Springs, uh, Texas. She was 87 and alone. Okay. Resendez entered the house and with an antique tire iron, uh, raped her and, oh. and then beat her to death. He would then squat in her house for three days, eat her food, and then left. He's getting Dang, sicker that's and like, sicker. That's like victim number eight? Yeah, eight it's around there. I lost track my, uh, myself. I know the final totals, but I'll get to that. <laughs> so on December, uh, December of 1998, he ventured in the home of 81-year-old Fannie Whitney Byers of Carl, Georgia. Her house was 200 yards from the CSX freight yard. She was beaten with a hubcap rim from her own car and sexually assaulted after she was dead. Oh. So necrophilia. Yep. Valuables, valuables were were, were uh, also missing. And he, he again squatted in the house for a day or so. And um, he, a couple, <laughs> A poor couple um, was suspected and charged and actually served a year and a half in jail until Resendez actually confessed. And then the DNA what? was done and they were let off. What? Yep. So they didn't even have proof? They were just suspects? So they, they got locked up without any evidence? They had no good alibi and they got locked up with no DNA evidence, um, no, um, well, no hard evidence. And they served almost two years. Oh, you know that they got a lawsuit for that. Oh, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah. They were, they were cleared not only on Resendez's testimony, but the proof was in the pudding with the DNA. There was no way. Once they ran the DNA, because remember, that was in the late 90s. DNA was coming up. So mm -hmm. yeah. once, once they ran that, that was it. <clears throat> so um, that was another murder. So then um, in... In uh, what is it called? 1998, Claudia Benton um, was 39 years old, a well-respected Baylor University, um, uh, what is it called, professor. She was raped and bludgeoned to death in her house with a porcelain statue. Uh, Resendez had entered through a back door which faced the Union Pacific Railroad's main line. You know who he's starting to sound like, Todd? The one you did a long a while back. Oh, um, the um, yep, yep. He sure is. Like him. Sure is. But this guy, um, this is the first time the police believed it was a railroad killer on the loose. They tried. Um, they thought it was the husband, but he had an airtight alibi, and so they wasted time on investigating the husband until one of the. One of the police officers was like, man, the train comes by here a lot. And then as soon as he looked out the backyard, it happened to be a, another guy just getting off the train and walking the opposite way. So he thought to himself, wait a minute, if people are jumping off there, then this could be a regular thing. Maybe it's someone that's just using the rails as a disguise to get away and everything. And well, this case, this next case rattled the entire state of Texas. And it got the FBI involved and the police 
really ramped things up and started putting things together. Okay. So this one, this one uh, was in May 2nd in Weimar, Texas, which is uh, about 60 miles away from the last murder. Okay. Norman J. Simic was 46 years old, a beloved pastor. Everyone loved him in a small town. His wife was big in the community. Her name was Karen, 47 years old. Were both found beaten mercilessly. The police and fire department said this was one of the worst murder scenes they'd ever seen. Dang. Food was eaten from the fridge. The FBI and police called this overkill. Blood was everywhere. Mm-hmm. However, for the first time, he was very sloppy. He left fingerprints everywhere. And the FBI were able to get the very next week with help from their agency and the media. They got his fingerprints and they had a suspect finally. So he went on the FBI's most wanted list because they were able to link him to a couple other murders. So on, but this didn't stop him. On June 4th, 1999, Naomi Rodriguez was 26 when she was bludgeoned to death with a pickaxe in Houston, Texas. Ooh. Oh. A beloved school teacher of elementary school kids. Uh, her school was alarmed when she was a no call, no show. And they called the police later that night to do a wellness check. When they came to her house, they found her Honda Civic was gone but she was beaten to death inside her bathroom. And lo and behold, railroad tracks were right behind her apartment. So right away, they tested for prints. Resendez again. His prints were left at the scene. It still didn't stop him because as we go the same day, just hours later, Josephine, I want to say Clavon. Coloma Conquica or whatever. It's a Russian name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was 73 years old. Um, she was beat, she was killed with the same pickaxe. He entered her Ooh. house through the back, it was ransacked, he raped her. He, stole, he tried to steal her car, but he couldn't find her keys. And then as he tried to break into the car, it left his fingerprints everywhere. Her, um, the prior suspects, um, or the, the school teacher's uh, car was found a day or two later with fingerprints all over it. It was abandoned by railroad tracks again. So right away, he's moving up the FBI's list. And uh, just 11 days later, George Mirber Sr., 80 years old, uh, in 1999 in Illinois, Gorman, Illinois, was shot in the head with a shotgun next to the railroad tracks as he was checking his mail. His home was ransacked, fingerprints were left everywhere. His car was found about 100 miles down the road near some railroad tracks. The Texas Rangers had already put him on their top of their list because of the stuff in Texas. So this guy was being on America's Most Wanted at the time. Everybody wanted a piece of this dude. So at that time, uh, they also inve- investigated a murder in the same town of Gorman earlier that day of a 52-year-old uh, Carolyn Frederick, who was beaten by the butt end of the gun, the same gun he used to kill George. Wow. So, with all that, with all that, 
Was that the last one? That was the last one. Wow. So did you guys keep count? How many was that to you? I think that's like oh. 40. guys doing the math i stayed around 12 or 13. you guys are both close it's 16. 16. wow he's he suspected also in seven other murders that they weren't able to prove or that he didn't confess to so there could be a total of 23. yeah that's definitely a serial killer for you right there man yep yes totally messed up absolutely you know what though? That pisses me off. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, with the first three, I mean, you already had an idea. Everything was near the train tracks. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like that should have already given them a spark of imagination as to where this person was coming from. Mm -hmm. In order to warn people to stay away from the train tracks, at least, or be very cautious. You know. Mm -hmm. Like, why did there have to be up to, like, seven or eight murders in order for them to catch on? You know, I, I don't know. I think I think this is pre-9-11, so you had a lot of these agencies that just wouldn't work with each other. And it wasn't until after 9-11 to where now police, police agencies and companies work with each other. And back then, it's like, if it happened in a small town, like a few of these were in a small town, they just... It didn't it made big headlines there, but it didn't make big headlines in the overall scope of things. So a lot of these murders like the ones we talked about with Matt last week in that small town shooting d doesn't for some reason doesn't get publicity mm -hmm. so unfortunately it's just a lot of these murders slipped through the cracks they really did yeah uh, this guy went through a lot I agree and that was messed up everything that happened in his life I mean especially if you're being taken care of by your mom like what mother allows or it's not careful enough to bring men to your home thinking well nobody's gonna harm my kid mm -hmm. like that's you true. have to have precaution no matter what at the end of the day you're a mother like that's your priority yep. but regardless of all that it just it sucks what he went what he went through but i mean a lot of us grew up around emotional some around physical verbal abuse i've known people that have grown up with sexual abuse and the rest, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you got to become a killer. Oh yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, this was taken way out of, you know, um, like you don't go zero to, to 180, you know what I mean? Like right away, like, yeah, it was built up. Maybe signs should have, you know, he should have been prevented or someone should have stepped in. But even if he's not, like you said, I totally agree. There There's no excuse for what he did. There should not be any. And unfortunately, a lot of people paid the price for his actions. Yeah. It was like high to him. You know, like the first time you take a, a puff of weed, you know, you get that high, you get excited. I guess the first time he committed that murder and he got away with it, like you said, he slipped through the cracks. Maybe he felt like he can just do whatever he want. I think so. And then you couple that with his paranoid schizophrenia and the need to be a godlike complex or have that godlike complex. It was just everything was just a recipe for disaster. And the fact that he slipped through the cracks and 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 that gap that I talked about earlier between murders a few years, mm -hmm. it could have been murdering. And then they just don't have any um, proof. 
Yeah. And, and, and then there is similar murders throughout the United States that are unopened and unsolved to this day where they think, like I said, they have seven concrete ones that they feel he's responsible for, but they just don't have any DNA, fingerprints, or anything linking them there. So, yeah. yeah and so um, maybe... That's so, how they catch him. Well, here's how. Uh, he did have a sister called Manuela living still in Mexico. His mom had passed. Okay. Um, that was the only one that he kept in contact with. Uh, the Texas Rangers are famous for getting their man, and they mm -hmm. did the homework about that, and they went down to see Manuela. They talked to her, and over about a... Uh, it was right after the last murder they uh, Fre uh, poor Carolyn Frederick. They went down there to talk to her to please plead with your brother because you're close to him. He'll listen to you. Give him, give himself up. And they kept and she's like, I don't want him to give himself up. You know, this, I don't want to deal with it. But then they said, you know what? He could die. You know, we're going to come after him guns blazing. He's hurt a lot of people. And it's for his best interest for you to, to, to have him confess or just to have him give himself up. So sure enough, the next time he called almost a month later on August, on July 12th, um, Manuela, Manuela convinced him to come to the border of Texas and Mexico because he had gone back into Mexico and to give himself up right on the bridge of El Paso, Texas, um, that links uh, Claudad Juarez Chihuahua. <laughs> yeah, shut up, man. He said, <laughs> I can't speak it, all right? Give me a break. <laughs> It's all good. <laughs> I'm trying. But uh, famous Texas Ranger Drew Carter, he surrendered with a spiritual guidance, uh, uh, help of a spiritual guidance, a guider there, whatever it's called, and his sister. And then he um, obviously was arrested on the bridge. During his court appearance, um, Resendez accused Carter of lying under oath and his uh, resented to Resendez's family because he was under the impression that he would get life. He didn't want to die. And um, Resendez was obviously in a death penalty case. Mm -hmm. So in 1999, with all the uh, con controversy, the confessions, they took what it was. He confessed to, to, his, uh, to those murders. It was proven for those 16. He got sentenced to death. And um, despite his five appeals in circuit court, in the Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, Resendez's death was uh, signed by um, signed for the murder mostly of um, Claudia Benton, where he left all the, you know, all his fingerprints, DNA, whatever. Mm. And on July 27, 2006, um, he was quoted as saying, "I want to ask if it is in your heart to forgive me. You don't have to. I know I allowed the devil to rule my life." I just ask you to forgive me and the Lord to forgive me, allowing me to do, allowing the devil to deceive me. I thank, for, I thank God for having patience with me. I don't deserve to cause you pain. You did not deserve this. I deserve what I'm getting. Resendez, Resendez said, and then, uh, you know, over the speaker, Claudia Benton's husband said, go to hell. So that was his, <laughs> that was his response. <laughs> I don't uh, blame him. Yeah. Resendez, um, uh, cried a bit as they strapped him down, but uh, in the end, he just uh, looked over at the people looking at him through the glass window, and he was executed July, June 27, 2006 by lethal injection. 
Wow. That is the story of one angel resent. Wow. I'm more evil. I'm sorry, but I don't agree with lethal injection. Mm -hmm. I, I think when people go to those extremes and the fact alone that you're taking somebody else's life away and that's not your right, it's already bad enough. And then the way you kill them is so horrible and they suffer so much. Like, no, you deserve to suffer as much. Yeah. And, it's yeah. not fair. You just get injected and, and you're gone. Mm -hmm. No, because um, a case prior, a couple cases prior, me and Matt were talking about this because the guy got a lethal injection. And um, spoiler alert, he got killed without... Uh, he was actually the wrong guy for the murder and he didn't, he didn't um, die right away. It took him 11 minutes to die from the lethal injection. He was suffering and it didn't kick in right away. And, and um, he suffered through his, I just hope I, you know, I, I, I'm with Gabby on this one, but it's so like PC for people to say, Oh, it's so to take a life. But yeah. there's been quoted people saying, it sucks that per, uh, the, the guy who committed all the murders and the pain to everybody dies quicker and dies easier than the actual victim. Yeah. yeah. I, at least bring back the electric chair, electric chair for this one. Yeah, I would go electric chair or hanging. I think those are two that if you want to stop people from doing things, I put those two options up there. Yeah. I think if you want to stop people, you got to threaten them with the same way they're killing others. Chop a finger off. <laughs> Good point. Torture. Good point. Torture. You tortured these people, well, now you're going to see what it's like. And by the way, it's funny how that she brings that up because someone had forwarded something to our crime page. And um, I looked on the crime page and it was a, it was a convicted child rapist. In, in in India, it was one of those countries back there, and um, he was he was basically flogged in public, and they had pictures of it. He was flogged in public over the back with a you know those big kendo sticks or whatever, mm -hmm. and then he was stabbed in the um, what is it called the back there by your ribs or your um, your, your kidney? Liver? Yeah, kidney. There you go. Stabbed in the kidney. And then publicly hanged in front of everybody. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's justice in right there. In my opinion, they should have done a little more before hanging him. <laughs> See? <laughs> yeah. And that's... And if you can't use it responsibly, then you shouldn't have it. I agree. See, I'm, I'm pro-capital punishment because... Uh, like like here in California, I've I've also wrapped with Matt. He knows Governor Newsom. He, he took death penalty off the board. So a guy like wow. a, a guy like because he felt like it was unjust to people. And it's like well, oh, but it's not unjust. Everything they do, exactly. <laughs> However, they could do whatever they want, make millions of people suffer, their family members traumatize them for life, and they mm -hmm. never get to live in peace again. But you don't deserve to die. Exactly. And that is all being overshadowed and overlooked because of what's going on with the coronavirus. So he's being labeled as a hero, but so many people that have lost loved ones over life and had to go through the trials and tribulations and seeing that person on trial and, and seeing their testimony and wanting to kill them with their own bare hands, they finally get those people to get convicted and get the death penalty. 
for the governor to say, nope, no more death penalty. Yeah, it's kind of just giving everybody the open freedom to go and do stupid things. Yep. At the end of the day, they're going to live better than everybody else. They have a place to sleep. They have blankets. They have a restroom. They get fed every day. They don't have to do crap for any of that. And we flipped the bill for it. Yeah. We're the taxpayer. And then to top that off, when you have the death penalty, like for the Golden State Killer, that guy mm -hmm. is all about self-preservation. And the fact that he will not, he now knowing that the death penalty is off the books, is not going to talk. Yeah, he's not going to say a word. Yeah. So all these murders that the the uh, prosecution can be like, look, just give us where the body's at, or tell us who else you harmed. All the stuff that would that they usually would use to save their lives and give the information to people that deserved it, they don't have to do it no more. And I know that irks you. Oh, it does. <laughs> it does, because there's some victims that will never find their loved ones. Mm -hmm. or find out what happened yeah yeah they never get to have that closure mm -hmm. well at least with this well at least with this story he he somewhat paid the price i mean he got the death penalty you know like nah he didn't suffer that's not paying uh, the price that's what i'm saying what <laughs> i'm saying is he didn't suffer the way he did his victims but at least he did receive justice for his crime by receiving the death penalty sauce it's not like the last show where the guy cowered out and killed himself. Spoiler alert. Yep. True. True. And he lived a he didn't live a long life. So at least, you know, they didn't let him stew on on a death death row too long. They do things better in Texas apparently. They killed him pretty quick. Right away. Yep. So any six bodies, man. Yep. Sixteen bodies. Yeah. It was evident that he was just doing this out of hatred and payback. He was trying to make others feel whatever it is he went through because, I mean, he was raping these old ladies. Like, what man, young man in his senses would do that? Why, no man would desire an old woman. I mean, this was just plainly about you're going to feel what I felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That is true. That's, he was really twisted. Very twisted. And this guy was like a crime of opportunity, and um, you know he did. He never took. He never took advantage unless he had the upper hand. So even on the even those two that were out on the railroad tracks, if the guy was big and fit, you know no one's gonna really make an, a move when you're being threatened with a hunting knife. You know what I mean? So yeah. And you don't think that someone's going to kill you when they tie you up. A lot of times, maybe you think they're going to rob you and everything, and they, you don't think they're going to be that brash about it. But, you know, he, he did what he wanted to do, and Gabby's right. He, he took all his aggression from growing up on other people. That's sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This, one's a, this one was a sad story. But, like mentioned, a little justice was served. So. Yep. And I'll uh, I'll give you a hint for next week's show, the next show. Uh oh, <laughs> uh, there's a song from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. What? Mm-hmm. That the serial Oompa. killer was named after. Oompa Loompa? No, not an Oompa Loompa. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my first ever case researched of a midget committing crime. <laughs> 
Okay, I'm going to save my thoughts for next week because I, I, I know a little bit of Willy Wonka's song. So um, maybe next week I'll have the answer. Or I'll think about it. Okay, okay, because I, I would give you, I would give you the bar, and I think you'd be able to know the song, but it'll be, it'll get stuck in your head, I think. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll wait till next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Man, hey, this one was a good story. Uh, not good in a sense, like I enjoyed it, but, but, you know, justice was served in a sense. Mm -hmm. So that was good. It's not like he took the coward way out and killed himself, or you know, he's still on the loose or anything. So. At least he got what he deserved, is definitely. Mm -hmm. so. but I think what... the only way justice was served is taking him off the streets. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine if he was still riding the rails right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. If I had been family member to those people, uh, no. my version of justice would have been something else. Yeah. We know what that would have been. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, it would have started with castration. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> he, he, he I knew it. the Bible a lot, he would have been a eunuch. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, all right, Tom. Well, that was a good one on this one. Very, very interesting. No Thank twists you. on this one. Just pure, pure craziness with this guy. Yeah, pure, pure violence. Yeah. So, sad. Sad for the victims. But, um, and next week's show will have a tremendous twist, too. So keep that in mind. A tremendous twist, huh? Yes. Big time twist. <laughs> a twist. <laughs> I'm going to do my homework, Todd, and rerun the stories that I've watched and send them to you. Okay. Yeah. I, I would love to take some stories and see what I could do with them, too, because there's not a uh, shortage of true crime, unfortunately. Nope. I see. <laughs> and, uh, hey, I oh, go ahead. Okay. I'm going to flip it around and do a narrating because I have one that I'm interested in that a lot of people would know who he is but wouldn't know his name. So stay tuned for that. I'm down. I can't wait. For sure. Well, thank, thank you, Gabby, for joining us. That was awesome. Thank you, guys. I've been wanting to join in on this. <laughs> uh, how was it? How was it, babe? I like it. You know, I like talking about crime and murder, and I love documentaries on yeah. it. I love investigating on my own, also. So, this yeah, is you fun. Can they're the same passion. <laughs> yeah, not fun to talk about it, but it's just like it kind of gives you, it makes people think, you know, even mm -hmm. when you feel safe, you never know who you're around. Hey, absolutely. And what, one uh, final thought for me, though, I think a game that would be up your guys' alley. Um, look into getting like Hunt a Killer. It's that game online where they send you like a box of clues and you have to try to solve the case. And, oh, that's cool. and, and you could do it as like a lot of couples do it. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Like me and Sandra did it. It was, it was really fun. And they give you a new case like every month. So Ooh. yeah, it's pretty cool. They give you like little, little um, clues from the case, like from the murder scene. And then you have to go through it and decode how it ends and stuff. It's really cool. What's right. it called? It's called Hunt a Killer. You can go on huntakiller.com. And um, it's really cool for couples and and even uh, fam not families, but like say for instance, like just if you get four or five people together and you try to figure it out, it's it's really cool. And especially during the quarantine, perfect. Oh yeah. Oh. That sounds good. Look at look at Todd dropping some nuggets on, on more. I know I should stuff. 
I should get paid for that sponsorship, man. I know, right? <laughs> Just email them. <laughs> yeah, huntedkiller.com. That's huntedkiller.com. <laughs> so, all right, guys. Well, this is the end of the show. I hope you guys enjoy it when you listen on the radio. Once again, this is the Grinding True Crime Podcast. You can find us on iHeart, Podbean, Spotify, and on Facebook. Look us up under the True Crime, Grinding True Crime Podcast. So this has been your host, Maddie Matt, along with our narrator, Todd Fox, and our host, special guest host of the show, Gabby. So we're signing off, you guys, and have a good one.